Here at the Sociology of Everything podcast, we acknowledge the people of Ghana Yarta, whose land this episode was mainly produced on, and whose past and present elders we pay our respects to. Hi, I'm Eric Sale. And I'm Louis Everest. And welcome to another episode of Lou and the Sioux, a podcast about sociology, brought to you by NESA, the university that technically pays me to do Trump impressions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd be very skeptical to think that that was actually in your contract. <laughs> I would, I, you know, listen, it probably wasn't explicitly there, yeah. but it was implicitly yeah. there. Five Trump impersonations per day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be beautiful. In this episode, we're going to look at Emile Durkheim's uh, The Rules of Sociological Method. Durkheim is oftentimes regarded as one of the founding figures of sociology. Like Marx and, and, and Weber, he's widely read. He's exceptionally influential. But unlike uh, Karl Marx and Max Weber, Durkheim actually considered himself to be a sociologist. A lot of his works were trying to establish sociology as a legitimate and viable discipline in the social sciences. Um, and what we're going to look at today is one of the one of the texts he tried to do that. The rule of the sociological method really tried to establish what sociology is, what it's good for, and what we're going to hone in today in this episode is a Durkheim's discussion of what he calls social facts. What is a social fact? I mean, that is literally uh, a question he poses uh, mm. to himself, but uh, which is one I'm also posing to you, Louis. What's a social fact? Well, a social fact, uh, well, firstly, like you said, the whole focus of this text is about establishing sociology as a discipline, what it does. And in trying to define social facts, what Durkheim's trying to establish is what it is that sociology studies. What is the subject matter for sociologists. If geologists look at rocks and if other scientists all have their things, then what is it that sociologists study? Mm. And so social facts are aspects of society, aspects of the social world. But as we'll go through as we break down the different elements, they're things that can be objectively studied, just like other, like the natural scientists use positive methodologies. They observe things, they conduct experiments, they repeat experiments, they use rational lines of thinking to try and connect something occurring to something else occurring. Dirt comes trying to say we can do all those things to the social world as well. And the things we discover, these are social facts. And so to give a little definition to get the ball rolling, Durkheim describes social facts as a category of facts with very distinctive characteristics. It consists of ways of acting, thinking, and feeling external to the individual and endowed with a power of coercion by reason of which they control him. So already we're starting to see a few important factors. And I think the first one here is that social facts are external to individuals. Mm. Individuals may, you may act in certain ways, but a social fact is a way of acting. Yeah. And it's a way of acting that it seems like it's it's imposed upon us. But the the trick here is is that we don't always necessarily think they're being imposed. No, they they are essentially social facts aren't just something that, it, that exists for some of us. Mm. Durkheim is trying to say that social ex- facts exist for all of us. Mm. They are in 
pretty much everything we do, mm. uh, uh, especially the, the the things we do that have a cultural distinctiveness, which a sociologist will tell you. I mean, there's a sociology of everything, mm. and it's because, according to a lot of sociologists, there's a social dimension to pretty much all aspects of our lives. Mm. And and what I and if we break down your description of what a social fact is even more, mm. so it's, it's it's different ways of acting, it's different mm. ways of thinking. Mm. But there's a coercive element, yeah. right? There's yeah. a coercive element to yeah. all of this. Well, I think that's how we can really identify where the social fact is. Because, I mean, the act itself isn't the, isn't the social fact. It's the way. It's the obligation. It's the model of action. And coerciveness is an important part of that because that's how we really identify social facts. Because when we behave in a way that doesn't follow a model when we when we do something that is is not the appropriate way of behaving then all of a sudden we feel coercion and Durkheim talks about this in the kind of extreme sense of coercion in terms of breaking the law so there are models of behavior that are literally written into laws you know you can't kill someone you can't steal you can't do these things there are rules in society where you can be criminally punished if you break them but there are more subtle forms of coercion as well yeah, well, like if you go to a wedding, uh, people are expected to dress a certain way, mm. right? Oftentimes, mm. the bride, if, if it's a heterosexual wedding that you're going to, uh, you'll see the bride usually dressed in all white. Mm. And if and what's interesting is if someone else dresses on all mm. white, that's a taboo. You yeah. don't do that, right? Yeah. Like, at least but conversely, mm. you shouldn't also, I mean, it, it, you, there's... Oftentimes, weddings are regarded as a semi-formal event. Lou, mm. you've gotten married. I have gotten married. Right? Did yeah. you just, like, pop on some some thongs and, and shorts? No. Jorts, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> there, there, were, there were plenty of... There are plenty of aspects of my wedding that once would have been, you know, more formal things that we didn't do. My... My partner was walked down the aisle by both her mum and her dad, okay. and there were kind of breaks with formality. But for the most part, we followed the established patterns of what a wedding should be. Do, do you know one of the? I would say this is just an aside. The under um, appreciated social mm. facts about weddings right. there seems to always be flowers. Yeah. I mean, people do all different things, right? Yeah. But for some reason, they I've never seen a yeah. wedding before. I've never been to a wedding where there's no yeah. flowers involved. Yeah. There have to be yeah. flowers. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's a great example. So for Durkheim, he could establish that by observing a thousand weddings and making a list of everything that occurs at weddings and then say, it's a social fact that weddings involve flowers. Mm. I've used a scientific method. I've established this and someone could repeat my experiments and see if they also identify flowers being used at every wedding. Yeah. But but see, every wedding within a maybe a, or, or a tendency for, for weddings yeah. in a certain culture. Yeah. Uh, uh, because I think in other, you know, places, you don't have to have flowers. I mean, like there's yeah. no prerequisite. I mean, yeah. there might be an informal expectation that it will be flowers at a wedding, mm. but I'm sure there are places in the world where people think that's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this this goes to Durkheim's point about where social facts come from. They, they don't come from an individual. They come from the social group that surrounds an individual and the collective rules and norms that that group produces. And then every individual learns those things. Mm. When, when we planned our wedding, we literally sat down and came up with a checklist of things we had to do. And that oh, was, really? yeah, yeah, that, that applied <laughs> to us. 
yeah. We should have broken more of the rules, if I'm honest. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> but yeah. And, and, and you know what I think is really quite fascinating about this idea of social facts mm. is that you know on the one hand you do have. Um, expectations that just seem to exist in society—they're external mm. to us. That's what mm. the other facet to it mm. uh, of, of Durkheim's discussion of such effects—they mm. don't seem to originate in just one single person. Mm. Uh, it, if you, it, the social facts predate people sometimes, and mm. then they outlive people, mm. like weddings. Okay, yeah. um, but uh, the other thing I find quite fascinating about social facts is that. There's a there's a learned quality to it. I mm. mean, he talks about how education is oftentimes getting people to adhere to certain facts mm. in a certain way. Mm. That so much of, of of our schooling is getting us to normalize certain types of behaviors, mm. even to some extent, university education. We're we're trying to to instill certain ways of being of doing. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're learning what jobs we should be aspiring to do. We're learning um, earlier on in schooling, we're learning about manners and appropriate ways of interacting with one another. Mm. I mean, at, at a very fundamental level, because Durkheim talks about some social facts being things like language. We're learning the, in, well, in, in Australia, we're learning primarily the English language and how to communicate with mm. one another. And that in official documents, you know, F and Jeff. <laughs> no, that's yeah. right. You don't F and Jeff. I mean, that would yeah. be quite amazing yeah. if I ever got like a yeah. paper yeah. mark. Although I will say, I've seen, I've seen some some emails from undergrads that don't follow established uh, really? email protocol. Uh, Maybe we should be doing a bit more on email protocol and learning those social facts. And well, let, can I ask you this then, Eric? Is there a social fact that you breach on a regular basis and experience the coercion because you're breaking that social fact? Well, I mean, uh, in Australia, but this isn't that, I think, that contentious. Like, I, I think a lot of people just feel it's normal to wear shoes in the house. Yeah. And I just always think that's very weird. And yep. there's an arbitrariness about yep. it, right? So, do you... So, when I have people over, yeah. you know, they want to, like, walk, like, they want to yeah. wear their shoes in. And I'm always like, do yeah. you mind taking your shoes off? And it's yeah. always very awkward. Yeah. I have slippers for them, by the way. I'm not, a, I'm not like so, a barbarian. So do they sanction you? When you ask them to take their shoes off, they look at you funny and think, who yeah. is this guy? Who is this person? Yeah. Yeah. But, but you know, the yeah. thing is, you go to yeah. other countries, yeah. there's some places like Japan, there's yeah. some of the Nordic countries, you yeah. just take your shoes off, okay? Yeah. And I don't know about you, unless, yeah. unless you're ashamed about your toes or something, yeah. which, listen, that's okay if that's the thing, <laughs> that's fine. My feet smell really bad. Really bad. Yeah. <laughs> I do not want to take Definitely my shoes off. Definitely keep those on. Yeah. But even then, I probably yeah. have some like anti-fungal power. <laughs> you know? It's a full service. It's a full service. Yeah, I, I yeah. wash and clean yeah. all the, on the slippers. Oh. But so yeah, I, you know. But you. But there's varying degrees. You said yeah. some of them are, yeah. you know, written mm. in law. Others mm. are just have have fewer consequences. Others mm. have greater consequences. Now, the the one of the other things I want to mention, um, and 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 I want us to talk about, uh, is Durkheim's observation that social facts don't always have to have an enduring, uh, solid quality. He talks about. Like the existence of what he calls social currents. What are social currents? So social currents are more fleeting examples of when a social group impact one another 
and uh, establish something that can be objectively examined. So to break that down, uh, Durkheim talks a lot about political rallies or these sorts of events where uh, each individual gets excited, maybe they yell, maybe they do something else, and they all sort of get one another excited. And there's something social that's occurring here, even though it can be more fleeting, it can dissipate when everyone leaves the rally, but it's more that each individual is more than the sum of their parts, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so it's sort of like a shared mood or a shared emotion that occurs around an event or around something else. If you were going to understand how any single person was feeling and acting in that moment, you would have to look at the social current that's occurring. Yeah. Um, I've actually watched a Trump rally live on TV before, and they're quite the event. They're they're pretty amazing, you know. (laughs) From from Air Force One, over the loudspeakers, you hear the captain announcing the arrival, and then they're playing all this music, getting everyone excited, and you can just feel the energy in the crowd lift. And that would be a good example of the sort of social currents that Dirk talking about. You know, I do a great about. job. I get in front of people and, yeah. they, and they go crazy. Yeah. Uh, and the people that don't, very sad people. It should be in my contract that I have to set you up for five Trump impersonations each day. Um, but what about crime? Because the other big part of this reading that Dirk talks about yeah. is that, you know, crime such a key part of... Uh, of social facts because it's that harder end of how we coerce people. So this leads us to talk about Durkheim's distinction between what he calls pathological facts and normal facts. And I I should say, this is a theme that runs throughout um, Mm. the body of Durkheim's work. Durkheim was always interested in distinguishing between various social realities. Uh, Some social realities, some ways of acting he thought were normal, And by normal, he meant they were good to keep people together, uh, to get bonded together. Uh, And there were some social um, facts that were pathological, which is when there's conflict within a society. It's when a society begins to break apart. Hmm. Uh, And when we think about crime, and he he makes this, Durkheim makes this observation, we oftentimes think of it being pathological, right? Crime is a bad thing. We should try to get rid of crime. I mean, there's literally in in South Australia, there is a hotline you can call, and I'm pretty sure it's called Crime Busters. No, it's Crime Stoppers. Crime Stoppers. I prefer Crime Busters. I think it's Crime Stoppers. Crime Stoppers. All right, yeah, because we want to stop crime. Yeah. Because it's this bad thing. It's bad for... It'll it'll cause us to disintegrate the relations we have with one another. Yeah. But Durkheim gives this alternate take Mm. on crime. He doesn't yeah. think it's just pathological. There's a normal aspect of it. And when he says it's normal, um, I think he's not trying to say that, like, it's just part of the everyday, although it is. Hmm. So that actually, it's because it's, he's trying to say it's normal because it serves a function, hmm. that we can't envision a society, any society, without crime. That crime is necessary. Hmm. And in fact, societies, if. Even if you could find a society, Durkheim would say, with no murder, with no stealing, with none of the kind of the obvious crimes we think of, he says we would create new crimes. We would then criminalise, you know, staring at someone for more than a minute or we'd do something else because we need it. It has to be created. Do you know what I think exist. should be a crime, Louis? What? Putting shoes on beds. <laughs> so wrong. Yeah, five years. So Mandatory wrong. jail. Yeah. Well, can I just say one thing? If you watch television... Sometimes you do 
juicy people doing that. It's like <laughs> for me, it's very personally you just upsetting. You turned off the TV. And yeah, like, I'm and I, the I show. think I told you, Lou, I used to be on those online dating apps, and, and I saw a few people. <laughs> she was on beds. She was on beds, yeah. and that was a definite left swipe. <laughs> anyway, okay, but the interesting thing about a crime mm. is it's necessary mm. because it tells people what not to do. Because if you're try, if if a society is bound together yeah. by shared ways of acting. Mm-hmm. Well, then, by definition, you need also need to know what not to do, yeah. right? So the um, and, and I think that's quite an interesting idea. It's actually a foundational idea in the in the discipline of criminology mm. Mm. that crime isn't this thing we can simply get rid of. I mean, politicians yeah. will say we're going to get yeah. rid of crime and whatnot. Tough on crime, yeah, tough on crime. Yeah, rack them and stack them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but but we can't. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I think this is quite interesting. But there's mm. there's another aspect of yeah. it, isn't there? Like, why does crime need to exist? Yeah. Well, a lot, for everything you've just said, crime needs to exist. But on top of that, Durkheim suggests that crime needs to exist because it's also a force for positive change in society. Because the world changes, and Durkheim suggests that societies need to change to follow the kind of broader technological, physical changes mm. that are occurring in the world. And so part of that is people doing things in new ways. Yeah. And when you do something in a really new way, you're likely to, to break with the social facts that exist. You're likely mm. to, to do something in a way that's not officially sanctioned. You're not going to follow those ways of acting that Durkheim refers to. Yeah. And because of that, you're going to be sanctioned in some way. But over time, if more people behave in that way, then the social fact will change. There'll be a new pattern, a new way of acting that develops. So let's just take marriage as an example. Marriage is a social fact because it existed in in an external way Mm. from from you or I. Many of us have felt (laughs) coerced. (laughs) I mean, we shouldn't say that. But uh, we feel like we need to participate Can in I this say, institution. I love my marriage. I'm very happy with my marriage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Sarah, this is definitely yeah. not yeah. You know, part of any ruse. That yeah, that's right. Uh, but, yeah. uh, but then, of course, yeah. who can get married um, is, is very much defined in the law. Exactly. And, that it's, and, and then a few years ago in Australia, it was a crime for two people of the same sex to get married. But of course, the law changes. Yeah. Right. And so, so, so the point is that social facts are these realities, but those realities can also change. Mm. So sociology is about the study of not yeah. just yeah. how things are yeah. and the realities we exist in, yeah. but how they can evolve, yeah. and how they can transform, yeah, and, and how that, they can test it. And that's because even though they're external to the individual and they can be objectively studied, just like the physical world that surrounds us. Social facts are still constructed by human beings. They're still constructed by agreements between human beings. Durkheim says crimes aren't crimes because they're naturally so. They're crimes because it's agreed upon by a certain group that an activity is criminal. We're going to finish this episode by doing one of our segments called Say What? (laughs) Where we... Uh, look at a quote that's in need of further explanation. Louis, I think you have one for us. I do. It's back towards uh, the earlier part of the reading, but it sums up uh, some of the things we've been discussing quite nicely. And the the quote is, uh, when I fulfill my obligations as brother, husband, or citizen, when I execute my contracts, I perform duties which are defined externally to myself and my acts in law and in custom. 
even if they conform to my own sentiments and I feel their reality subjectively, such reality is still objective. For I did not create them, I merely inherited them through my education. And I think this quote's fantastic because it shows an aspect of social facts that we don't often think of. And in that is that we've internalized them, we've learnt them so well that we, we don't even really realize that we learnt them, that they mm. are an objective thing that exists outside of us. I always get up and put clothing on before I leave the house. Wow. Usually, <laughs> Usually. And I, and I always um, speak in English when I'm in an Australian university yeah. because that's just what I do. I don't think of that as being something that I'm you know, forced to do by my social setting and by my relationships with others. But it is. All these things are social facts. Uh, and, and this then helps us to understand how everything around us to some extent is social. There's a social yeah. dimension to all of it. Yeah. That brings to a close this episode. Thanks very much for listening. Loon the Sioux is a sociology podcast hosted by Eric Sue and Louis Everest. It's produced and edited by Eric Sue, with special assistance from UniSA Online and UniSA Justice and Society. To learn more about studying sociology and other programs online or in person at the University of South Australia, Visit unisa.edu.au where you can search for more details. Loon the Sioux is primarily recorded on the lands of the Ghana people. The hosts of the podcast would like to pay their respects to elders past, present, and emerging. If you'd like to get in touch or learn more about the podcast, visit our website at sociologypodcast.com. Thanks for listening.